You are listening to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, a Burning Hallows production. We are your otherworldly hosts, Kitty Fields and Laura Rain. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to hit the follow or subscribe button to receive notifications of future weekly episodes. We invite you to check out our sister podcast, Mamir's Well, where we explore taboo topics in the witchcraft community and visit AlloraRain.com to grab a tarot reading, numerology, and soul origin profile. Now onto the show. Imagine a world where everyone is kind and supports your success. Intuition, psychic gifts, and energy healing are not only encouraged, but are taught in schools. Spirituality is a tie that binds rather than a splinter that separates. A government that takes care of all its diverse peoples and invests in the production of technology that enhances and improves the corporeal experience. Now imagine what would happen to this world if greed and corruption wrought their way in staining its people with poisonous traits that would lead to its complete social demise, while Mother Nature responded in kind with a cataclysmic flood to drown any traces of this once utopian paradise. Legend or myth, fact or fiction. Today, we begin our series on lost civilizations with Atlantis. It's going to be an hour soaked with myth, lore, and spirituality of an oceanic paradise. So grab your cuppa and settle in. Okay. So first question, do I believe in Atlantis? How about, do you believe in Atlantis, Alora? <laughs> so yes, I do. And I oh, think yeah. if so, what version? I don't really know what version I believe. I just know that I do believe that Atlantis was a real place. I do believe uh, that it was an advance to society, which feels weird to say, because I feel like, you know, when I look back on Egyptian culture, they were really advanced for, I mean, the time period. Yeah. I feel like in modern day, there's this misunderstanding of ancient cultures as rudimentary or barbaric or, you know, not as smart as, not as innovative, not as right. creative. Advanced. Um, and yeah. I, right. And I think that that's really false. <laughs> I agree. So, but I do believe that Atlantis was an advanced society, mm -hmm. which portions of that are kind of for me, but that's as far as my solid beliefs go. <laughs> okay. Because I go back and forth on some of the theories. and Well, I've definitely always found it fascinating. I've always been drawn to, want to wanting to learn about it. Mm. And I will say that I do. I also agree that it existed on some level. I don't know what level that it actually existed on, but I will say that there is indeed an Atlantis in the Bahamas. There is. It's a resort. Yes. Currently. <laughs> yes. And I think there's even like cruise ships and... Like it's a big, anytime somebody wants to market paradise, they use Atlantis. Mm -hmm. I agree. So I guess I can start us off here yeah. by kind of giving the importance of the Atlantean mysteries. Mm -hmm. 
So this is actually a quote from the introduction to Plato's work, The Republic, uh, from the Gutenberg Project, which the Gutenberg Project is a website where literature is published um, that you can freely access. Nice. So with the intro to The Republic, it's actually the person that is translating it. So he says, neither must we forget that the Republic is but the third part of a still larger design, which was to have included an ideal history of Athens, as well as a political and physical philosophy. The fragment of the Creatus has given birth to a world famous fiction, second only in importance to the tale of Troy and the legend of Arthur, and is said as a fact to have inspired some of the earth early navigators of the 16th century. This mythical tale of which the subject was a history of the wars of the Athenians against the island of Atlantis is supposed to be founded upon an unfinished poem of Ceylon, to which it would have stood in the same relation as the writings of the logographers to the poems of Homer. And I find this this quote interesting because the Republic was actually written before both of the works by Plato that describe Atlantis itself. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure how the Republic is the third piece. Cause I would think that it was the first piece. Yeah, really? So uh, yeah, I'm not sure. But if well, you look up the chronology of Plato, the Republic was written first. Okay. Before you go into the, what the historians have to say about Atlantis, Mm. or further into that. Can you just explain to the listeners what the concept of Atlantis actually is? Because I feel like most people have heard of it, but maybe there's some people out there that don't know. So Atlantis was essentially a utopian paradise Mm -hmm. where everyone got along. Everything was a bit, well, you have to get into some of the different theories to really talk about the details because some people believe that some spiritualists believe that Atlantis, the people of Atlantis were extraterrestrials. Okay. Some... Well, stop. You're going too deep. <laughs> well, just I... like, it's just a lost civilization, right? Like if, if someone yes. was to present it on TV real quick, they would say Atlantis. They... Okay. They would say that it was a utopian paradise, which was wiped out by a cataclysmic climate event and there are no remaining records or archaeology or anything from it yes oh my gosh you're so funny (laughs) what you're just such a historian you're like yes the uh, details of the account (laughs) (laughs) i love it and don't uh, that's a compliment okay i'm such a dork no you're not i love it i this we like dorks here at Otherworldly Oracle. Okay. We're all a bit of a dork in some way, but yeah, I okay. think I remember like just growing up, you know, there was a lot of shows about Atlantis and on the history channel and on, you know, discovery, they were always looking for Atlantis, like under the water and, you know, so or, was, you know, there's always, you know, Stargate Atlantis. <laughs> I never saw that. I know what it is, but I never, actually what? I, know, I know. Oh my God. I think that's where Jason Momoa got his start. Oh boy. Oh, yes. That guy. <laughs> I'm more of a Dwayne Johnson fan. The Rock. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. Loved him in Jumanji. Yes. And have the you seen one. what's the jungle? Jungle Cruise? Jungle Boat? Yes. Jungle Cruise. He was good in that, too. Love that movie. 
It's very pagan, that one. <laughs> exactly. Okay, but back to Atlanta. So now we shall dive, pun intended, further <laughs> into what the historians say about Atlantis. And Alora will give us a detailed account. Okay, so the first accounts that are recorded about Atlantis at all come from Plato. So he writes about Atlantis in his dialogues, Timaeus and Critias. Uh, In these works, he is insistent that it is not a work of fiction, but is a true story originally told to Salon, which was one of his ancestors. I think it was like his sixth great uncle removed or something like that. Is Salon like another historian or something? He was another Greek dude. Philosopher. Okay. And, and he was related to Plato. He was like his uncle. The, the story was originally told to Salon by the Egyptians who say that the story of Atlantis is written in hieroglyphics. Oh, interesting. In Egypt. Um, and the location of this utopian legendary place mm-hmm. is between the Pillars of Hercules, which if you Google the Pillars of Hercules, yeah. it is the Strait of Gibraltar, mm-hmm. is the eastern end. I remember watching a, a documentary. They were trying to place Atlantis at that point. Yeah. Are these hieroglyphics known today? I couldn't find any information on them, but I like if they do exist, but I also have heard that there is some reliefs over there that do, whether it's Atlantis or not, uh, that hasn't been confirmed, but there are reliefs that talk about a paradise. I believe this is just my beliefs, not according to history or anything. I believe that there is some evidence of this hidden underneath the Sphinx. Mm, Yeah. And yes, that is going to come up again later. Oh, is it? Okay. I didn't know. Sorry. (laughs) You're all right. You're all good. But for Plato, the people of Atlantis were divine children of the gods who were only susceptible to corruption after their divinity had been diluted with human DNA. Wow. Plato said this. Yes. I didn't know that. Interesting. Which, and I'm just going (laughs) to draw some parallels here, Mm -hmm. sounds a whole lot like the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good point. So moving on from Plato. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Ignatius. Uh, Yeah. So there's this other guy. (laughs) (laughs) His name was Ignatius Donnelly. He was an American writer and congressman, and he he published Atlantis, the Antediluvian World in 1882. This work goes through Plato's accounts where Donnelly pretty much expands on them, analyzes them, gives his opinions on whether he believes they're fact or fiction. He also is the first to start relating Atlantis back to each and every society. This is really where like the root race theory starts. Oh. Where we all come from one culture. Interesting. Does this get um, you in trouble for any reason? No. And you know why? Okay. Why? <laughs> uh, because in this time period, oddly enough, uh, this is when eugenics is starting to be popular. So today it would get him in trouble. Yes, today it would. Yes. So interestingly enough, uh, this guy, like in this antediluvian world book, he even draws parallels back to Odin. Wow. Right. Of course. Odin like pops up everywhere, I feel like. (laughs) 
Right. And so he even says, uh, we have fixed the special attention of our readers upon this Votan or Wodan, an American who appears of the f- same family with the Wodes or Odins of the Goths and the people of Celtic origin. Since according to the learned researches of Sir William Jones, Odin and Buddha are probably the same person. What? Right. <laughs> You're exploding my brain, as my son would say. It is. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> no, right. It is curious to see the names Bondvar, Woden's Day, and Votan designating in India, Scandinavia, and in Mexico the day of a brief period. Ah. There are many things to connect the mythology of the Gothic nations with Atlantis. They had, as we have seen, flood legends, their gods Croto and Sadar were the Kronos and Saturn of Atlantis. Their ball was the bell of the Phoenicians who were closely connected with Poseidon and Atlas. And as we shall see hereafter, their language has a distinct relationship with the tongues of the Arabians, Kushites, Chaldeans, and Phoenicians. So see, this guy was like, well, this is where we all come from. Yeah, I can see that. But I kind of, I'm a little lost with some of the like God related. I don't know. Look, I think this is a case of, how do you say it? Where you want to see causality, you will. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel you on that. And I do think that a lot of them are are linked. But I think the part that threw me for a loop was he's talking about the Gothic nations. And then he says that their god, Baal, was the bell of the... But they didn't have a god named Baal. Not the Gothic people, at least. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. Well, he also says that of the goths and of the people of celtic origin so maybe he's just lumping europe all together gotcha i also just want to note that donnelly also wrote a piece on ragnarok as another rationalization as to what happened to atlantis oh let's not get started on that please i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) no but this guy basically is like uh atlantis is gone because ragnarok happened (laughs) and i'm with you i'm with you Ragnarok is like saying Valhalla for us. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I could see the parallel. Like I could definitely see that. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting. Moving moving on from Donnelly. Yeah. Tell us about Edgar Cayce. Yeah. So this guy you've probably heard of out of the ones I've mentioned up to now. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the spiritual community. So he was known as the sleeping prophet due to his trance-like state when giving prophetic readings. Mm -hmm. He is known as the father of Atlantis because he is the one that went into the most detail and probably the most theory about what exactly happened in Atlantis uh, on a day-to-day basis, right? So he gives, yeah, like day-to-day basis stuff. Just as an example, this is from edgarcasey.org. According to Casey, Atlantis was a highly advanced civilization located from the Gulf of Mexico to Gibraltar. Edgar Casey referred to Bimini as one of the mountaintops of ancient Atlantis. Before the end of the last ice age, which was 12,000 years ago, the ocean levels were at least 300 feet below their current levels. A vast island was in the area in those remote times rather than a chain of islands. Though the island does not appear to be a mountain today, 12,000 years ago, it was one of the highest points on the vast 
land formation in the region. Mm. Through destructive misuse of advanced technology, Atlantis was destroyed over a period of thousands of years. With a final catastrophic event, circa 10,000 BC, over its years of destruction, Atlanteans migrated to other parts of the world, including ancient Egypt and the Yucatan Peninsula, where they brought with them their technological advancements, beliefs, and recorded histories. This vast island must have been pretty freaking big. Yeah, so... It was said to be like in between Europe and America. That's, that's a lot of uh, coverage. Right. <laughs> right. So I feel like that's, is that even bigger than, might that have been bigger than Australia? Mm, or about the same-ish size? Yeah, that'd be interesting to kind of figure out. So what he's basically saying here is essentially Egypt and Yucatan Peninsula, the peoples that came from there. Mm-hmm are actually Atlanteans or have Atlantean descent. I definitely knew about the Egyptian link, but I didn't know about the Yucatan link. Yes. The Hall of Records. So according to Casey's readings, the people of Atlantis became aware of the fact that their civilization was about to be destroyed. As a result, they hid identical records of the Atlantean civilization in Bimini, Egypt, and the Yucatan. Ah, There's a couple of excerpts here from his readings. Wait, can I stop you there for just a second? Yep. I'd like to add to this. So I had a dream once back when I was working with uh, Thoth, Mm -hmm. where he took me under the Sphinx and showed me that there was documents there. And part of that had to do with Atlantis. Ooh, we're going to get into that. Sorry. I just think it's weird because I I don't think I'd ever read anything about that back then. Right. Which- real. That's amazing. Well, maybe I had, and I just didn't, you know, I don't know, but I just remember like that dream was so vivid and learning about this later on, it was kind of like, did I dream that before knowing it? Or, you know, (laughs) Mm. it's pretty wild. Give us some readings from old Edgar Casey, the sleeping prophet. So in one reading, he said in those periods, when the first change had come in the position of the land, there had been an egress of peoples from the Atlantean land, and they built a city near the edge of the Sahara. So now, so this is where it gets kind of weird because people have posited the location of this place Mm -hmm. everywhere from the Bahamas to Mediterranean. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's been everywhere um the other little snippet is says that the one in the atlantean land that sank which will rise and is rising again another in the place of the record that leadeth from the sphinx to the hall of records in the egyptian land and another in the Aryan or yucatan land where the temple there is overshadowing the same so like yucatan i think like machu picchu definitely that place always seemed very Atlantean-esque. Well, Edgar Casey brought up the Sphinx. Yeah. I'm wondering, I'm just, I'm like wondering, you know how sometimes you think you dream something and you're like, oh, that was an epiphany. And then you're like, but did I hear about that before? And it just came out a dream, you know what I mean? But it's definitely mm-hmm. interesting. And there was a lot of, if you work with Thoth, there's a lot of him trying to point to origins of man and things from a long time ago that were not taught today. Mm. So it kind of goes hand in hand with working with him as a God. Yes. And we are going to talk more about him as well. Okay. Because he's actually, I'm not going to spoil it. Please. No. Okay. So Casey's compilation of readings 
having to do with Atlantis were compiled into a book called Atlantis, which was published in 1968 and is still in circulation today. The most notable additions to Atlantean mythos Casey contributed were likely that it was not a utopian world of divine beings, but one of human beings that were always susceptible to corruption. And Casey saw the Toei Stone. Does that sound right? To what? I have no idea. Don't ask me. T-U-A-O-I. It's like all of the vowels, stone, basically a fire crystal, a source of regeneration or rejuvenation for Atlantean physical bodies, as well as a power source for their tech. Huh. The way Casey describes this sounds a lot like a modern day laser beam, laser beam that works on (laughs) ultraviolet light as its power source. I mean, it's literally powered by the sun. That's really interesting. Right. Wow. And so before Casey's prophecies here, we didn't, this didn't exist in Atlantean lore. Hmm. Did they have sharks with laser beams on their heads? (laughs) That's what I think about whenever I hear laser beams. Okay. Dr. Evil. I know. Okay. So are you going to tell us about this Graham Hancock guy? Yeah. I can tell you about him. So last but not least, we have Graham Hancock. He is a cryptogeologist, according to mainstream academians. He is better known as the father of modern Atlantean theory. Hmm. He talks extensively about Atlantean theosophy in his books, Fingerprints of the Gods, which was published in 95, Mm -hmm. and in Magicians of the Gods, which was published in 2015. Uh, He's also a regular guest on the Joe Rogan experience. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. My husband is very much into Joe Rogan. So, oh, mine is too. Yeah. (laughs) They would get along. Yeah. Uh, He states that Plato is absolutely correct in his timeline because at the time that Plato says Atlantis was destroyed, which was around 11,600 years ago, there was a geological phenomenon known as Meltwater Pulse 1B, which is part of a larger climactic catastrophe known as the Younger Dryas. You can Google all this if you're really wanting to know what all this means. But this phenomenon was the rise of water around the globe after the glacial period. The exact timing, significance, and magnitude of this event is highly controversial because some say that sea levels rose six meters. Others say it caused them to rise as much as 28 meters, which would be like 92 feet. And more than that, this actually happened over a sustained period of time. So this wasn't all within a year. Some sources say it could even have been over a period of 500 years. Okay. Yeah. We understand what Hancock and Casey and all those guys are saying. I think, yes. but it, are these guys charlatans or are they pioneers? Well, I took a class when I was at MTSU called Sunken Continents. It was actually part of the anthropology department, but this particular class was dedicated to being able to distinguish between academic fact and pseudoscientific theory. So all of the above, aside from Plato, were labeled as charlatans, yeah. pushing their theories as fact with no acceptable credentials behind them. I mean, couldn't we say that we don't know the credentials that Plato technically had? Yes, okay. but Plato is a different, he's he's in a different ballpark. Uh, oh, yeah, and I'll have, that. I'm just playing the devil's advocate here. Um, these other guys, these more modern people that put forward their theories, 
right on Atlantis. So to be accepted in the academic world, any theory needs to be sourced and it's got to be peer reviewed. So you have to be able to um, give your theory to other people and other people need to be like, yes. And, and like, there needs to be evidence and et cetera. Right. So first of all, there's no archeological evidence of Atlantis. So there's no way that any of this stuff can be peer reviewed. Mm. Also, and the other thing, and this is so terrible to say, but you can also be shunned or dismissed in academia if you don't have the proper letters behind your name. So even though what you're saying may be, you know, smart and innovative and different, if you're not, if you don't have a PhD, if you don't have a master's or whatever, they're not even going to look at it. Yeah. Which I think is poop. Well, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So would you say that you personally believe that these people were charlatans? So, so as far as Ignatius Donnelly is concerned, I think that he was more interested in explaining eugenics, which for the time period that he wrote in was widely popular. It was gaining popularity. Everybody wanted to, you know, and that was also around the time of Darwin, I believe, um, when he was writing his theories on the origins of man, blah, blah, blah. For Atlantis itself, I think that these people aren't charlatans because we just don't know yet. Right. So there's no, we can't, like, we can say that's improbable because this, that, or the other, but there's no evidence that solidly proves one way or another. Right. So I think that it really just depends on how open or shut your mind is and with how much skepticism you want to employ (laughs) towards these kinds of theories. Yeah. Now, when I said Plato is in a different ballpark, so the vast majority of mainstream historians and anthropologists, et cetera, say that Plato's work about Atlantis was fiction and that it was written as a speech that was to be read at a festival in Athens for, the, I believe, for the goddess Athena, mm. where they were uh, used as an allegory for the current political climate of Athens at the time. Oh, OK. But I find that this is very uh, dismissive. And close-minded because Plato was very well known to tell his audiences when he was telling a fictitious tale and when he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and if you read uh, Timaeus, he says over and over that this is a true story. Yeah. So knowing those things, I don't know that his accounts should be so easily dismissed as fiction Mm -hmm. because Plato wasn't lying. Then I guess the next question we would have to ask is, okay, so this guy that's his, you know, great uncle six times removed or whatever, is he lying? Right. And then what did Mark Clark, Mark Clark have to say? Oh, (laughs) he just said, whenever Plato spoke in parables, he said so. When speaking literally, he made sure that his listeners or readers knew it. When telling the story of Atlantis, he stressed that it was a real event. There were several ancient historians and philosophers that attended to the truth of Plato's account. And one, Crantor, actually read the history of Atlantis on an Egyptian column written in hieroglyphics. And then it was like, or was this guy lying also? (laughs) So a lot of people have to be lying or telling fictitious tales for this to be fiction. Very interesting. So before we get into the juicy stuff, I was wondering, I'm just going to put this out there and I don't know if this is going to come up, but I'm like, what if Atlantis was, is a place on the astral plane? Oh, I think that it is. Yeah. 
And it is, and that is going to come up. Uh, but I think that, you know, I think that that's true of any sacred place that gets destroyed. So tell us about uh, how most modern spiritual theories around Atlantis have right. something to do with otherworldly beings. Right. So this is probably the part that everybody's here for <laughs> is ah. the spiritual part. Most modern spiritual theories around Atlantis have something to do with aliens in one format or another. And really it's the tying of two theories together, the legend of Atlantis and it's the belief in ancient aliens, right? Which ancient aliens, that's a whole nother theory in itself, which oh, I'm not yeah. going to go into, but Let's Patricia that guy Cole, on the ancient aliens. Oh, like okay. Look, there. you can't even, that guy looks like Einstein. He reminds me of Einstein, but like before Einstein got old. <laughs> the hair. It's the hair. So Patricia Corey, you may recognize her name. She created the Syrian Darcy Tarot. Mm-hmm. She actually has a book called Atlantis Rising, which is a part of a channeled book series titled The Syrian Revelations, in which she posits that Atlantis was awesome until the Anunnaki came from Nibiru to suck planet earth dry of its resources to save their own dying planet. She also talks about shadow governments as well as intergalactic history. And this is all channeled information. Uh. Then you've got Diana Cooper. She also made some Oracle cards, um, but hers are at the Atlantis cards. She has a book written with a co-author named Sharon Hutton, and it's called Discover Atlantis. It goes into great detail to describe pretty much every facet of Atlantean life as told to both of these people by Kamika, who is their joint spirit guide. Like he's a spirit guide for both of them. They suggest that Atlantis was an experiment conducted by the Intergalactic Council to see if there was a way for spirit to be corporeal without losing itself to human nature. I just, okay. So I'm just going to put this out there. And it's not that I don't believe in channeling or that people aren't, you know, channeling other beings from other dimensions. But I will say that this is one of the new age kind of practices that I have a little bit of a hard time with. I think that I think that that's definitely not surprising if you if you grew up in a a religious background where there was the speaking in tongues. Well, yes. And I agree with you there. Definitely. That definitely has something to do with it. But I also think there, there are actually a lot of charlatans out there that will use the channeling gimmick. I will say now, not like I said, there are some people that absolutely can channel. I don't, it's not that I don't believe in it. I just think that it's often used by charlatans to either gain fame or, you know, popularity or, um, well, fame is the same thing as popularity. You know what I'm saying? A lot of cult leaders do this too. Mm. Well, Um, they say they're channeling these, these higher beings and that, you know, everyone needs to listen to these higher beings. I'm going off on a tangent here and it really has nothing to do with Diana Cooper, but I'm just, (laughs) I'm just saying that I don't believe everyone when they say that their spirit guide said these things, you know? Does that make sense? Yes. And actually, shameless plug, next month on Mimir's Well, we're actually going to talk to someone who comes from a spiritist culture where channeling and possession is like an everyday occurrence. So I think it'll be interesting to talk about that from a different perspective. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not saying everybody's 
a charlatan, but I'm just saying there's quite a few out there that have been on TV and that have drawn like cult followers. It just doesn't seem legit to me. And no doubt that there are. That makes sense. But everyone can, everyone can use any practice to, uh, to their benefit or to the detriment. So, yeah. And unfortunately there's charlatans and everything. So actually we're moving on from Diana Cooper. Stuart Pierce is another one. He is the author of The Angels of Atlantis. And he says that Atlanteans were straight up aliens that came from star systems all over and whose spirituality revolved around angelic beings. So that's interesting. Or at least to me, that's interesting. So there are tons of theories out there as to what Atlantean life may have looked like or been like, because we have no definitive answers. Uh, the, the closest thing that we have is knowing from Plato that some Greek guy was shown some hieroglyphics once upon a time <laughs> about Atlantis. Mm-hmm. There are things that do seem to cross the board with these theories, which we will kind of get into as we go along here. Cool. So what about if someone is super interested in Atlantis and maybe they want to access Atlantis in some way, um, you know, spiritually today? Yeah. So I can't uh, go into this topic without telling my little spiritual experience story. So the way that I really came to know about Atlantis was I actually started having dreams about it like circa 2011, 2012. And I had heard of Atlantis growing up, never from a spiritual lens. Mm-hmm. Like I really didn't know anything about it. And over the years I've had several dreams about it. And well, I could say dreams, but they're more like visions, not dreams, which visions are different. We've yeah. talked about this before. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Some people say that of everyone alive today, most people had an Atlantean past life, but I actually think it's around like 0.02% of the current population because at its largest, I think the most it contained, and this is just my personal opinion, was about 2 million. But other documents say that it was only 84,000 people. But I think that that's kind of an underestimate. Were you the census taker? In Atlantis. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You're funny. (laughs) You're like, yes, back in my Atlantean day, there was only 2.5 million of us. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Okay. So Akashic readings are one way that people gain access to Atlantis, whether they are performing the reading themselves or they go to someone who specializes in Akashic record reading. That is one way mm. as well, aside from dreams. Like if you're not a dreamer, right. Akashic readings. And just for anybody listening who doesn't know what the Akashic records are, essentially it is a library of sorts that exists on the astral plane where every movement of humanity has been recorded, every life, every past life, every everything. Wow. I mean, do they have record... Is there like record of every single thing that we've ever done? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yikes. That's scary, people. <laughs> what, about, okay. what about accessing Atlantis via like meditation? So astral travel and meditation is another way that you can access Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Even though the physical Atlantis is long gone, it still exists on higher light frequencies. Mm-hmm. At least from what I've experienced, binaural beats and frequency music can help you get to this place if oh. you can't just dip into a trance state. Yeah, I got you. Uh, and in fact, in our show notes, I'm going to post a link to 
a really great sound healing that is meant to help you access Atlantis through meditation. Wow. That's pretty cool. What do the binaural beats sound like? Is it like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's like that. It's just different. I don't know how to explain binaural beats. It's just, uh, sounds that vibrate on a specific frequency that are meant to engage certain brain waves. Hmm. Gotcha. Right. So probably not like Nicki Minaj or something like that. Probably. Who's the new famous not. rapper girls? I can't remember. Cardi B. We sound so old. I'm like the rapper girls. Who's the new famous rapper girl? I'm like, you know, Lil' Kim. Uh, <laughs> Missy Elliott. Who's the left eye Lopez? Um, she passed away. Yeah, I know. But, you know. <laughs> well aware of that i remember the whole thing really dating ourselves okay y'all we've been around since atlantis no just kidding <laughs> well Alora has <laughs> there's also an egypt and atlantis connection as we've yes. been talking about yes definitely plato casey cooper etc all discuss atlantis links to egypt Mm-hmm. In fact, Atlantis has been theorized to be in Africa because remember, you know, Casey said on the edge of the Sahara. True. So Atlantis has been theorized to be in Africa by various figures throughout time. We've talked about the Sphinx being a place of record keeping and how Salon was told by the Egyptians about Atlantis. Some historians believe that Atlantis was actually a story of Egypt, right? Thoth, who we've talked about throughout the podcast, he's actually a controversial figure of Atlantis because some say he wasn't a god at all, but an Atlantean. Mm. In the Emerald Tablet, Thoth talks about Atlantis and its downfall. Right. But in Egyptian spirituality, Thoth is a god of wisdom and writing. So working with Egyptian spirituality, the Emerald Tablets, and certainly with Thoth himself may uncover some Atlantean knowledge. Yeah, I do agree with that. And he was starting to show me some of that stuff, but I think at that point I wasn't ready. Mm. Some even say that Hermes Trismegidus was like the reincarnation of Thoth the Atlantean. Right. Because there's Emerald Tablets from him as well. Yes. Yeah. So if you're really into Atlantis and like the origins of it and how it links to Egypt, you can definitely work with Thoth or reach out to him. Give him a call, Mm. you know, dial him up. Give him a call, dial him up. Send him a text. (laughs) Very interesting stuff. I don't, I, I still don't know what I believe about Atlantis. So that provided me with a lot of information, but I have not made up my mind. (laughs) Well, just quickly, I just wanted to add some of the things that permeate all of these theories. One of them, one of the big ones is communication. So there wasn't a whole lot of talking in Atlantis Mm -hmm. because at that point, people experienced the world in with sensory, with feeling more than with word with thought more than with word bull could more easily be telepathic. So I think that's, that's one thing across all these spiritual theories that is pretty standard Mm -hmm. as well as the fact that pretty much everyone in Atlantis was a healer. Well, and they also said that, didn't there, wasn't there some theories that said that um, mermaids Mm -hmm. from Atlantis? Yes. And there's even, you know, like I said, these theories vary from spiritualist to spiritualist, but I'm just giving a couple of the things that seem to be in each of these spiritualist theories, what, you know, despite all the differences. Can you tell us 
some of the resources that people can go to, to learn more. There is a whole section of sacred-texts.org that contains Atlantean literature, including the works of Plato and Donnelly that were mentioned. Plato's work, The Republic, can be found on the Gutenberg Project for free, as I said before. Discover Atlantis by Diana Cooper, if you want to get into the spiritual side of it as well as The Angels of Atlantis by Stuart Pierce. And then on the historic side, academic side, there is a book called Atlantis and the Cycles of Time by Jocelyn Goodwin. This one is more academic, which looks at all the theories of Atlantis and analyzes them. And then the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, the Atlantean, uh, have been translated by a guy named Michael Doreal. You can actually buy that book on Amazon. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. Have you read The Lost Lands by Lucy Cavendish? I have heard of it. I have not read it. Uh, If you want like more of the magical, metaphysical, new age Mm. side of Atlantis, but she also goes into Lemuria and Avalon. Yes. Which which is a really good book too. It's interesting. Which we're going to do episodes on because this is the Lost Civilization series. I'm so stoked. And I was wondering, putting this out there, I was also thinking about maybe us touching on Roanoke. Ooh, that's a good one. Because it's much different than the other three, but it is still technically a Lost Civilization. Yeah, I'm down. a lot of cool folklore and stuff around that. Let's do it. And Lucy Cavendish, it's Australian, mate. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. All right, shall I wrap us up? Yeah. Go for it. All right. We'd like to give a big otherworldly thank you to all of our listeners, whether you're new or returning. Stay tuned next week for another episode of the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast and keep your eyes peeled for a brand new Burning Hallows project launch in the very near future. And remember, whether you're in the land of the ancestors or the land of the fae, stay otherworldly.